Hello and welcome to the Untitled Gen X podcast. A podcast hosted by two childhood best friends dedicated to the pop culture that raised us. I'm Kate, a writer, a midwife, a current day pop culture know nothing, but nobody puts baby in a corner when it comes to the pop culture of my youth. And I'm Lori, a writer and pop culture lover who's still not over how my so-called life left us hanging. Hey guys, today we're taking you back to my very first music video, AHA's 1985 synth pop tour de force single, Take On Me, from their debut album, Hunting High and Low. We'll be drawing deep into the progressive single, innovative music video, and longtime legacy of this beloved and often covered 80s classic. Heck, we might even sing. But before we regret that decision, if you're enjoying the pod, we invite you to rate and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at the Untitled Gen X Podcast. Kate! Lori. Take on me. My first music video ever. Damn, that's a good first video. And it's still good. It's still great. I was like, this is still amazing. After all the special effects and like fancy things we know all this time later, still solid and awesome and totally enjoyable. It is. I mean, to this day, the special effects are amazing and the song holds up. It's a good song. I mean, we all know it. We all love it. I don't really know what it means, (laughs) (laughs) but I enjoy it. (laughs) You know, same. I, I read the lyrics and I'm like, yeah, I don't really get it, but like, maybe I don't need to. Yeah, I don't think the lyrics are the point of the enjoyableness of the song. No, like it just, it just makes me happy to hear. It does. It's very uplifting. It's very nostalgic. It makes me want to move my body. Right. Like you just hear that like synthesizer, like riff and you're like, oh yeah. Oh, the eighties. Yep. (laughs) I'm here for it. (laughs) So quintessential. And even before there was this huge wave of nostalgia, you know, 80s and 90s nostalgia is a really big deal right now. But even before all of that, this song still. Oh, yeah. You know, it was like, yes, when they would play it on the radio. It's what the 80s sound like. Yes. It just is. It's like you hear it and it takes you back. It's very immersive. Let's talk about the band. Let's. So AHA's made up of three guys. The lead singer, his name is Morton Harkett. And I told you before we started this, I want to call him Horton Market. That is not his name. I clearly have a problem with names. That sounds like a Dr. Seuss character. It does. Well, Horton, here's a who, right? right yeah. Right. So Morton Harkett said, the first time I met Paul, that's the guy who does guitars. And I'm going to call this guy Magne. His name Magne. is spelled M-A-G-N-E. He said, the first time I met Paul and Magne, I heard their band Bridges on stage at my school and was totally mesmerized by it, by the aura of their music. These guys are from Oslo, Norway. So Bridges was this band with the guitarist and the keyboardist, and they had other band members who would kind of like come and go. These were kids that maybe weren't taking the band as seriously as they were. I bet they're sorry now. Yeah, I bet they're sorry now. (laughs) And these two guys decided like, you know, when we graduate high school, we're going to move to England and we're going to make it. Morton heard the band and he loved them and was like, you know what, you guys, you're an awesome band. 
the only thing missing from your band is me. I've got mad vocal skills. And he does. And so as teens, they decided to form AHA as a three-person synth pop band. They formed in 1982. This song was first released in 84. And so it wasn't long after they formed that they found success, but their road to success was not as easy as one might think. It was not. There were a lot of stops and starts along the way. And I think we have seen this often when we have talked about different things on this podcast, Yeah, which is just to remind everyone, like literally, if at first you don't succeed, like just keep trying because you just never know. I mean, this is episode 19. Like, are we getting better from here? Let's hope so, Katie. Right? There have been some stops and starts. Let's just keep trying. (laughs) Like, I mean, the listeners might not really know this, but like the beginning episodes of this podcast were a little clunky. I mean, if they've listened to them, I guess they do know this. Right. My audio was so bad. And you want to know why? (laughs) (laughs) It's so simple and yet- so stupid. Why would you think this would be the magical fix? (laughs) My audio was so bad and Katie's was so good. And we have the exact same Same audio setup. Setup, same. In fact, one of our friends, upon listening (laughs) to Lori, maybe you should get the same kind of microphone that Katie has. Yeah. And I'm like, (laughs) um, yeah, it's the same one. So you guys, my microphone was turned backwards. Like I didn't know. She was like, tell me every single setting on your microphone. And I told her and I was like, oh, and it's facing this way. And she's like, well, that couldn't be it. And I'm like, I don't know. Try it. And it was it. It fixed it. It fixed it. So like I'm calling that a victory. Talk about stops and starts. Right. Back to AHA. So the first version of the song was created when Magne was 15 and Paul was 16. When Harkett heard it, he knew that it was really special, but they used to call it the Juicy Fruit song. Wait, but did they call it that or did that, was that just sort of their nickname for it because it was? Yeah, it was their nickname for it because Magne said it reminded them, quote, of ads for the good life with Coca-Cola with American kids with sunshine in their hair, looking like they're the happiest people on the planet. And we thought, that's not us. You know, we're like dark Norwegian troubled souls. We can't do that. We're not juicy fruit commercials. I love it. (laughs) I'm sure that Norway is a gorgeous and beautiful and amazing country and that people are lovely. And if any of you are listening, hello. But it is dark and cold in the winter there, like in a way (laughs) that I don't think I can even quite grasp. So the fact that such love and light could come out of them, like just isn't a testament to what wonderful people they must be. It's got like spirit. It's got happiness. It's infectious in that way. But the first recorded version of this song was called Lesson One. And it was a demo that you can actually find on their YouTube channel. It's fun to watch, but it actually sounds really different than the take on me we all know and love today. Well, they talked about how their first producer had some kind of machine that he used and that he had to, in order to get that machine to work, he had to like take out different elements of Mm. the song. And so it sort of changed it from what it initially had been and what had made like the record label really fall in love with them. And so all of a sudden what they put out wasn't really what they had initially created. Right. Didn't go over so well. It didn't. It kind of flopped. But they were actually signed to a record label by Andrew Wickman. 
And Andrew Wickman was the international VP of A&R for Warner Brothers Records. And at their audition, he actually heard this song. He heard, I guess it was Lesson One at that time. And he could not believe Harkett's voice. He was like, how could someone who looks like a movie star sing like Roy Orbison? And he signed them. They released Take On Me in England in October of 84. It didn't perform on the charts. It only sold about 300 copies. Isn't that crazy? And little known fact, this was a surprise to me. There was a different video for it. The original video is not the video that we all know and love. And it's not good. It's terrible. It's terrible. You can see it on YouTube. And they're just like in front of this blue screen and the song sounds different. And it's not a dynamic music video in any sense. No, it doesn't highlight any of the juicy, fruity goodness of this song. (laughs) The flavor disappeared very quickly. Totally. They released it yet again. And guess what, guys? It failed again. again. And you would think at this point, they're unknowns. I'm surprised that the record company kept saying like, yep, let's try it again. Let's re-engineer it. Let's bring in a new producer. They did go and ask. They thought that they were probably not going to be told yes, because who were they? they? They had no influence or power, but someone believed in them. They believed in them and they believed in Harkett's range. Mm-hmm. I think they were really sold on the hook of the song, Yeah, but his talent was undeniable. And I think they were just like, I think we could do something special with this. So upon like the last try on this thing, it was re-recorded and released again with the help of Alan Tarney in 1985. And they decided we're going to pair this with a revolutionary music video. And we're going to really give this thing a go because they really believed in it. Somebody said that sometimes if you can come up with a really cool video that gets a lot of airplay, then the song sort of follows because you hear it so often and then it sort of becomes beloved. And I think that that's really what happened with the song, that the video was so cool. And that video was everywhere because I did not have MTV. I did not have cable. Mm -hmm. And I saw it all the time as a kid. And that was really sort of like some forward thinking because music videos were still really new. Yeah. So to have the foresight to be like, hey, if we can pair this thing with an amazing video, the success of the album will follow. Right. And it did. They decided we need an excellent music video. We are going to reach out to Steve Barron. Steve Barron directed music videos that were like the big deal. They were very Mm -hmm. influential. He directed Michael Jackson's Billie Jean, The Human League's Don't You Want Me, and Madonna's Burning Up. He later, the same year, went on to direct Dire Straits' Money for Nothing, which also won a whole bunch of awards. But before we get into the video, let's talk about how the album performed. The album released on October 28, 1985, and it reached number one on the U.S. Billboard Top 100. Number one. That's impressive. And the album peaked at number one in Norway. Go Norway. I'm sure that was really exciting for the band. There was a quote from Alan Turney. The producer. (laughs) And he said, and they were from Norway. And no one had really been from Norway. (laughs) 
<laughs> which like lots of people had been from Norway, but not on the big music scene. So this was exciting. And not number one on the U.S. Billboard Top 100. So the album, Hunting High and Low, sold 11 million copies worldwide. And it actually earned a Grammy nom in 86 for Best New Artist. But sadly, it lost to Sade. Uh, oh, that's tough competition. It is. Yeah. I mean, so different too, right? Right. I mean, look at this lesson, though. This was, what did you say? It was originally released in 84? And there were like two goes of it. Yeah. And it didn't go. And then a few things were changed up. It's re-released towards the end of 85. And boom, it's a success. Magic in a bottle. But we have Baron, the video director, to thank for this. Each one of these things stands alone. Okay. The video can totally stand alone on its own. Mm -hmm. The song can totally stand alone. But together, they really are magical. Yeah. Baron had this idea Okay, these are some really good-looking guys. What if we made them into comic book heroes? Baron told Vulture, an image kind of jumped out of this drawn hand, reaching out of a comic book into the real world. I got goosebumps from that moment. I thought, this could be amazing. This was a springboard for the whole narrative, really. So he just kind of had this idea pop in his head and he was like I am running with this and the band loved it but they didn't really know how it was fully going to be executed Harkett told the band even before Baron suggested this wouldn't it be cool if we got to do something with a cartoon I think something about the sound of the song kind of lends itself to that sort of cartoony energy So this video technique is called rotoscoping where live action footage it's recorded and then traced frame by frame and it's animated. And this was done with the help of these like amazing animators at the time, Michael Patterson and Candace Reckinger. Who had done a student film using this technique. And that's how somebody knew about it. And and so you can actually see some footage from the student film and just how cool it looks. And no one had ever seen anything like that before. I mean, certainly not in the mainstream. And so Baron was like, okay, we're going to use this technique, rotoscoping. It's going to be totally amazing. He talked to the record company. They're like, yep, we love it. Let's go with it. We would like it like really soon. Like pump that thing out. Let's get going. And they were like, um, let's explain this technique one more time. <laughs> take a minute. It took them four months and it was so painstaking. These animators did over 2000 sketches, two animators, 2000 sketches. Honestly, four months seems a little speedy to me that it all came out that time. And it's so good. They did such a good job. The drawings look like the characters. Yeah. Well, and the magic of the video isn't that like they filmed a video and they animated the live action. It's that it so seamlessly goes back and forth between it's integrated flawlessly. Yes. I was like, I wonder if this is going to still be good when I go back and watch it again. This is possibly more amazing than the first time I saw it because now I have what, like how how many years perspective? I don't want to count, but I have all of that perspective to say like all of this other stuff has happened in between now and then. And it's still amazing. Like that was so long ago and they did such a great job. Between you and me, when you're watching something for a podcast, we've kind of talked about this before, you watch it with a different eye. And sometimes when you learn a lot about something on a deep dive, sometimes you go back and it's lost a little bit of luster just for all the nitty gritty detail that you now fully understand. 
even knowing the secret in the sauce, it's still amazing. And I know a lot of you are probably listening to this episode thinking, oh yeah, I remember the video. Yeah, it was cool. No, go back and watch it again. Do it. Yeah. Go back and watch it. It is captivating to just appreciate it. And I don't think when I saw it, I mean, I remember thinking like, oh, it's cool. And then like after seeing it so many times, I'm like, oh, right. That's the one where like the girl becomes a cartoon. But to really watch it and like watch the kind of interplay between the live action and the animation, it's just great, especially at the end. It's amazing. So according to Mental Floss, the video ended up costing, by today's standards, about $400,000. That's an investment. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's good that it lives up all these years later. Like, imagine <laughs> if it didn't. Baron told Vulture, we very rarely got that kind of budget. And he was the guy who got to do the big music videos. I mean, he right. knows. And he said it was a budget designed to really do something spectacular. And, and it, it did. did. So the video... We open on a comic book drawing of these guys on motorcycles in a race, and it's like an official race. You know, there's like a checkered flag and everything. And oh, look, it's Harkett, the lead singer. He's in the race. So now we see live action footage of a girl in a diner reading a comic book. And she is like the quintessential 80s looking young woman. She's so pretty. Yeah, just like has like the feathered bangs and that sort of like cute short haircut. That girl is played by actress Bunty Bailey, who also appeared in the AHA video. There's another video. The Sun Always Shines on TV. She was in that video the same year. But the year before this, she was in Duran Duran's video for Wild Boys. Oh, she was like the video girl of the 80s. And what's actually interesting, too, is she went on to appear in Billy Idol's to be your lover video in 1986. Wow, she had a niche. Uh, yeah, totally. <laughs> so in the video, she sees this drawing of Harkett and she's like, gee, he's cute. I mean, kind of like how I felt about Aladdin back in the 90s. Like <laughs> he was my cartoon crush. Did you have a cartoon crush? I don't think so. Okay, well, like Aladdin did it for me back in the day. So Harkett's doing it for her in this comic book. And all of a sudden the drawing winks at her. She's like, what? And, oh, a drawing of Harkett's hand comes out of the comic book and reaches out and, like, motions for her to come inside. She looks around the diner to be like, hey, does anyone else see what's going on? Am I, what's <laughs> happening? Am I losing my mind? She grabs a hold of Harkett's cartoon hand. Because what else could you do? I mean, it's right there. Like, how could you be like, okay, eh. would you have grabbed the hand or oh, would you just, like, absolutely. ran out of the diner? What up? Yes. That's kind of weird. I don't know what I would have done. I think I would have started screaming. I, I don't I don't think I'm adventurous enough. No, I think I would have acted just like she did. Like I'd kind of be shocked and then I'd be like, this well, is okay. crazy. Let's see what happens. Let's do it. <laughs> so she goes into this comic book world and now it's a mix of live action and comic drawings. Back at the diner, the waitress goes over to the table and the girl is gone and the waitress is pissed. Right, she's like, she skipped out on her bill. I mean, Katie, you've been a waitress. Has this happened to you? It did once. Yeah, <gasps> once. Someone skipped out on their bill and my manager tried to tell me that I had to pay for it. And I was like, yeah, I'm not paying for that. And uh, they didn't push it. So obviously. Well, the waitress is pissed. So maybe her boss was going to make her pay for it. Right. Okay, so the waitress grabs the comet, crumbles it up, and tosses it in the trash can behind the counter. And meanwhile, inside the comic book, we see these two kids making like a little connection. Like there's some chemistry here. 
But this is interesting. So Baron told Vulture, quote, there's a piece where he leads her into the drawn world and shows her the window into the real world so they can look at each other for real. He held on to her hand, pulled her across, and then I'd say, right, okay, we need to do another one. And then we did a take two, a take three. By take four, they weren't letting go of each other's hands when we cut. And the oh. pair dated for a year or two after this. Nice. So if you sense the chemistry, you were right. It, it actually really happened. There. It was real. And what's so fun is that in November 2019, AHA put out a three-part docuseries about the making of this song and the video. And we'll link to all three parts of this in the show notes. But I really recommend that you watch it because in the docuseries, we get to see Bunty Bailey today. Mm-hmm. And she's being interviewed at the very diner, at the very table <laughs> she sat at for the music video. And she showed that she even still has the original dress from the video. It's so cool to see. And the diner is now called the Savoy Cafe. And people go there to take pictures for the gram and pay homage to the video. We'll totally post the link to the location in the show notes if you're ever in London and want to check it out for yourself. I know. Now I'm sad that I didn't go there when I was in London. I went to Abbey Road. My um, flat was actually just like within walking distance of Abbey Road. Oh, cool. But I didn't go to this place. Yeah. So so you can go to the Savoy Cafe. And, you know, it's kind of like what we talked about in the U2 episode, how you can go to the Joshua Tree plant remnants Mm -hmm. to pay homage. So it's very cool. What's so great about this docuseries, though, is that Harkett joins her in the diner and they look really cute together. Like when he walks in and they look at each other, I swear I can still see sparks. There's still a little spark there. But you guys can be the judge. Let us know what you think. Back to the drawn world. So the pair encounters these like two bad motorcycle guys from the race. And one of them is holding a plumber's wrench. That's what my husband told me it's called. I'm like, what is that thing he's holding? Is that also called a monkey wrench? Two girls don't know what the tools are called. I have lots of tools. I just don't do any plumbing. So I don't have that particular (laughs) tool. Yes. An adjustable wrench with large jaws that has its adjusting screw contained in the handle. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) Dictionary.com. Shout out to dictionary.com. So one of the guys is holding this thing and it is really scary and he wants to attack them and he hits the window between like the real world and the drawn world. Right. Yes. And breaks it. And now our little lovebirds are in big trouble and they go to run away from these guys and they get trapped in a dead end and they're cornered. And just when you're like, these lovebirds never had a chance to be together. It's over. Harkett somehow like creates an opening in the wall where she's able to climb through it and escape. And then we cut to the diner in live action and we see her all dirty and like in the corner near the trash can where the comic has been thrown away. And the waitress and the patrons are all like staring at her. Because she just appeared there all of a sudden. She's confused too. (laughs) She grabs a comic out of the trash and bolts home where she's trying to like smooth out the comic and like hark it where are you she's you know crying what's going on it's all very dramatic and in the comic book it looks like Harkett is dead and she's so sad and she cries that pretty single tear and then she looks again and like oh my god wait he's alive and he's trying to escape the comic 
And now he is a drawing slash live action person in her hallway. And he's banging himself against the hallway walls, like trying to become a real boy. Yeah. She's upset and it's dramatic. And he somehow makes it out of the drawing world. By this time, he's really sweaty. He's been working hard. And he's just like sweaty and sexy. And she smiles and goes over to him. And then we see an AHA magazine crumpled up. Right. Like a picture of the band on the cover. I really do think it's hard to do justice to that hallway scene at the end. Go back and watch it. It's so cool. That video for sure left an impression on me as a kid, partly because it was the first music video I'd ever seen. But all these years later to go back and look at it, it's just like, oh, yeah, I mean, that was amazing. It's still amazing. I had this recorded on VHS from On TV. Do you remember On Entertainment? I do because you had it and you yeah. didn't. That was like before there was cable, there was... It, w- it was like pre-cable. We had on TV and I had it recorded. And so I used to watch this video a lot. The video was a big deal at the time. Obviously, it's a big deal today. But at the time, it won six awards at the 1986 MTV Video Music Awards. It won Best New Artist in a Video, Best Concept Video, Most Experimental Video, Best Direction, Best Special Effects, and Viewer's Choice. And interestingly, the band did not show at the VMAs because they were playing a gig in Houston instead. Wow. <laughs> they, they're they like, yeah, cool. The video's up for all the awards. That's awesome. We have a gig to play. So Right. And I mean, I think it deserved every single one of those awards. Most definitely. The video was nominated for Favorite Pop Rock Video at the 13th American Music Awards in 1986. Also. Yeah. Let's talk legacy. This song has been covered by a lot of people, and it's been sampled in a lot of music. Some notable covers include Real Big Fish. Weezer did a cover of it, which is very meta. And if you recognize the kid playing a Young Rivers, it's the kid who plays Mike Wheeler in Stranger Things. And it's really cool because it's like a Young Rivers Cuomo playing with his friends, his mom left the house and it's just kids in the 80s playing this song with their like cool 80s instruments and stuff. It's it's a really fun video. I feel like maybe I've seen this a long time ago. Chris Martin did a cover from Coldplay. Metallica's done a cover. A1 and many, many others. I feel like I have to go listen to the Metallica cover because I'm having a hard time like picturing how this like super synthesized riff translates to a Metallica guitar riff, but I'm sure that it does. They did it. And in 2017, AHA played MTV Unplugged and they played a slower version of the song, very stripped down with just a single acoustic guitar. Morton Harkett still has the voice. And he has a good voice. He does. And this is very exciting. On February 17th, 2020, the video reached 1 billion views on YouTube. That's hard for my brain to comprehend. Before they reached this monumental status of 1 billion views, that accomplishment had only been done three other times. Okay. The music videos include November Rain by Guns N' Roses. They've reached a billion views. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana, which is not a super amazing music video. Like, it's fine. Yeah, that kind of surprises me, in all honesty. Yeah. And Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody, which I 100% understand. Yep, totally get that. But Take On Me still averages 480,000 views per day on YouTube, according to a spokesperson. Iconic, one might say. 
in watching the docuseries on the band, they were kind of saying like, you know, it's really sort of one of those things like you could either choose to embrace how monumental and epic this song is. Or you can kind of grow to resent it because this was early on in their career. Yeah. And they put out a lot of music since. And like, really, even the diehard fans of AHA, this is the song that if they're going to learn to play an AHA song, this is going to be the first one they learn. This is the most popular song. This is the song that got all the airplay and attention. And so they said, you know, we kind of had to like decide how are we going to feel about this song? Are we going to be the band that is annoyed by it, doesn't really want to play it? Or are we going to be the band that are like, you know what? We're damn thankful for this song. Everybody loves it. It's held up all this time. Yeah, we have other music. Yeah, we love our other music too. But this is the thing that people connect to the most for whatever reason. And so we're going to embrace it too. And they've chosen to embrace it, which I really appreciate, especially appreciate it because I told you before, like, okay, so I've seen Prince in concert. (laughs) That was when I wore leather pants when I was pregnant to a Prince concert. Yeah. (laughs) So we saw Prince in concert in 2002, and it was an amazing show, but he only played one single. He played Little Red Corvette. And I'll tell you, as awesome of a show as it was, a little part of me was disappointed that I didn't get to hear some of his other iconic hits because they were important songs to me. And Prince is just such a legend that I wanted to hear it all in addition to the new stuff. But he was focused on the new stuff, and that was his right as an artist. But I do appreciate that AHA still does play the song every single time. You can count on it. I think that that is a struggle that artists kind of deal with because I get it. Like, they created something early in their career and they've kind of moved on artistically Mm -hmm. and are probably way more interested in their newer stuff. And I want to honor that as a fan. And I also want to hear my favorite songs. I know. (laughs) A couple of years ago, we got to see Paul McCartney play in Oh My God, like what a legend. So he put on nearly a three-hour show, did not take a break. Okay, How old is this man? I know, like he had a new album coming out. And he played old stuff, new stuff, old stuff, new stuff. Like it was almost every other song interspersing the new with the old, which just made it so great because it was like, you got to hear new stuff and you got to hear the old stuff that you know and love. That's my favorite. We left so completely satisfied because I wanted to hear the new Paul McCartney stuff. Well, and it's so fun. Like one of my favorite ways to hear new music from artists is when they share something that they haven't released yet. Like they're preparing it for an upcoming album yes. and you get to hear it first. And then like, you always remember that song after that, because it comes out on the album and you're like, I heard that a long time ago. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know, true fans really do appreciate the evolution of their favorite artists. Like I want my artists to evolve. Right. I don't want them to just be stuck in the same place all the time. I know not everybody feels that way, but I think that there's a place for honoring the nostalgia of the music and and the big hits, the big singles, and still being able to create and share the new stuff. I think there's a place for it. And I think AHA has found that. I'm going to be really honest that I don't know that I could name another AHA song. (laughs) (laughs) You actually know more than you think. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, and the truth is, though, like, I also wouldn't say that, like, I was like the hugest AHA fan in the whole world, but I do love this video and I do love this song. If you're a fan of AHA, they actually had concerts scheduled that had to be postponed, unfortunately. But the shows here in LA at the Wiltern were all sold out. 
there are a lot of AHA fans out there. There are. Still, all these years later. I'm looking ahead and they've got all these shows all over the world scheduled. Check out their website. When do they start? I'm just curious. I'm just trying to figure out when people think we might actually get to go to concerts again. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a concert scheduled for August 11th, 2021 this year in Mexico City. And then there's other places in South America. Um, They have not been postponed as of yet, but who knows? But they're touring and that's the exciting part. And so if you're interested in seeing AHA and you want to keep in contact with their touring schedule, you could check it out at aha.com. Nice. Well, thanks so much for joining us. If you can't wait to hear more, please remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And just a friendly reminder, you can find us online at theuntitledgenxpodcast.com. We hope you keep in touch, beautiful people. Bye. Bye.